All right, welcome back everyone from the DeFi Yield community. It is Michael here, and I'm excited for this interview. Uh, we have with us Leo from Pangolin. For those of you who don't know, Pangolin is uh, an exchange. Uh, I believe it's both for Ethereum and Avalanche assets, but I know it specifically for Avalanche. And Avalanche is to me a super exciting project, lots of really interesting uh, technology and ideas there. And so super happy to have you with us, Leo. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, really happy to be here to talk about Pangolin, about Avalanche. Uh, it's an exciting time in DeFi right now. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So uh, maybe why don't you just give us a little bit of a uh, little bit of background on uh, on Pangolin and uh, you know how it came about and yeah, go from there. Sure, definitely. So uh, yeah, my name is Leo. I'm the COO of Pangolin Exchange, and we are one of the top DEXs on Avalanche Network. Um, Avalanche is a L1 network. Um, it's kind of similar to Ethereum, and we have a booming DeFi community. So uh, we launched in February, um, and it was actually created by Ava Labs, who also created the Avalanche blockchain, and it was transitioned to an independent team in May, and we've been running it ever since. And um, yeah, that's about it. Cool, cool. And uh, so tell us a little bit for those who aren't familiar, because uh, there's lots to know about kind of how Avalanche is different from uh, certainly from Ethereum, but from a lot of the other stuff out there, because I think that kind of is part of what makes Pangolin and the whole thing, the whole ecosystem really interesting is, yeah, it's just a really, really cool technology. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, a, that's a really good question. I'm sure a lot of people are asking, especially people who are just on Ethereum wondering, hey, why should I try out the new chains if I've got everything here on Ethereum already? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Ethereum is great. You know, all of the innovation uh, happens or most of it happens first on Ethereum. That's some brilliant minds built in there, pushing the limits, but uh, it does have limits itself in terms of transaction costs, um, transaction times, and just kind of the limitations of what and how you can build because you don't want users spending too much on transactions. So um, people are realizing the limits and they're, they're trying out different chains. So Avalanche is um, kind of recognized those limits and built their own blockchain with uh, very cheap transactions, very quick transactions, sub-second finality um, on those block confirmations, which is really cool. And you know, one of the reasons we like to build here is it just feels like a fresh start, a new sandbox that you can build in, try out new ideas, especially because of these transaction times. I'm able to do things that you know Ethereum can't really offer. Uh, you know, in terms of you know NFTs are a lot cheaper here. Auto compounding yields is a lot cheaper. You can do it quicker. Uh, Avalanche offers subnets, which are like custom virtual machines that you can build in. Um, it's very cool. I mean, as a DEX, we just want to offer the standard AMM functionality for users, swap the tokens you want, provide liquidity and earn yield. And then obviously we want to innovate on top of that. You know, let's get some fiat on-ramps into here. Let's uh, make this the best DEX experience possible for the users of the network. And so that's compared to Ethereum. But what about the other... Uh, side chains, right? You know, Phantom is popular, Binance Smart Chain, Polygon. And a lot of these chains, um, you know, there's the technical side, let's do it right. And then there's the business side, let's get a lot of money into here. A lot of times they don't, they don't go hand in hand. You can build it fast and, and uh, unsafe almost, or you can build it right, but that takes longer. It's less attractive. And, and Avalanche leans towards the kind of academic, let's build this right side. You know, it's got a thousand plus nodes validating the network. Um, it was built by a very professional and academic team in Ava Labs. Whereas some of these other networks, they, they have like 50 or less nodes securing it. And from a security perspective, that's just a little worrisome. It's a little more centralized. Um, 
but I would say, you know, just give it all a try, see what you like, you know, Avalanche is a great place to build, it's a great community for sure. And so from the, like, uh, so for people who don't know, uh, Avalanche is not itself uh, designed based on EVM compatible Solidity, but it has an EVM compatible chain. Is that right? Yeah, Avalanche is cool because um, it separates um, the blockchain into three, three virtual machines, three chains. So it's got the C chain contract chain where you can run the EVM compatible dApps on. Uh, you know, most of the DeFi users are playing here, yield farming, NFTs. But it gets its speed because it splits out uh, the staking of the AVAX token to the P chain. So all of the staking happens there that validates the network. And then it's got the X chain, the transaction layer, which is kind of the novel layer that, um, you know, these new types of token standards can transact on very quickly. And that's a new space being explored, something that the Ethereum network doesn't offer, the Avalanche network does offer this. And so from the perspective of building a DEX, uh, what does that mean for you guys? Like, are you just playing on the C chain for you know Ethereum compatible tokens, or are you is it different to code across multiple chains? How does it work? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, as a Dex, we do want to be where the users are, and the users are mostly on the C chain. So, we are a fork of Uniswap v2. Um, all our contracts that worked on Ethereum work here on the Avalanche C chain, and that's really great because the users are very familiar with it. Just plug in MetaMask, start using it like any other blockchain. Um, where the other chains um, get exciting, um, I think, are the are the permissioned uh, subnets that you can build. Mm -hmm. um, and this comes into play as a DEX when, let's say, there's more regulation. Let's say one country has different rules than another country. Well, you could try to split that out in one app on one chain, or you could try to permission that into separate subnets, which is, you know, that's a kind of an exciting box to play in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's very interesting. Uh, what about and maybe maybe you have an answer for this, maybe you don't. On Ethereum, there's a lot of talk these days about MEV and kind of all the challenges that come along with MEV. Uh, does the way that Avalanche handles things reduce or somehow address those MEV concerns? Um, a little bit, yeah. So MEV, um, just for to to give a reference for people listening, is uh, I think it's the miner extracted value where the, the miners control the order that transactions get mined and they can sometimes uh, reorganize that to their advantage. So let's say a transaction comes in for a swap and they're like, well, if I swap before that swap, I could actually make a little profit and that's you know, good for the miner, <laughs> bad for the users. And, and so people ask on the other networks, well, how do you, how do you protect against this? Um, I think Avalanche, because of the, um, the, the way it's, it's architected, I believe it's one one transaction per block. Um, so, you know, every time a transaction is submitted, like it, it gets mined, doesn't try to try to group up like ten to twenty in a batch. Um, so that kind of protects users more, and and just you know the finality of these uh, these transactions is so quick that um, you know you have to be pretty sophisticated to try to take advantage of this type of situation. Whereas on Ethereum, it could be be minutes. And you have a lot of time to kind of see, like, can I take advantage of this particular block? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have to have some sort of great, uh, great software going to do uh, sub uh, sub second finality uh, stuff. So for <laughs> yeah, sure. totally. What uh, what about in terms of because uh, uh, Pangolin does Ethereum and Avalanche? Is that right? So we're we're only on um, Avalanche. Our DAP is on Avalanche, but with the reason we we offer 
or we market ourselves as compatible with both is because a lot of the tokens uh, on Avalanche and in Pangolin are just Ethereum tokens that have been bridged over. I mean, if you look at the TV on the volume, it's mostly, you know, ETH, USDT, DAI, USDC, uh, wrap Bitcoin. And so we kind of just want to position ourselves like, hey, um, if you just want to come yield farm, you want to just come through swaps and you don't want to pay, you know, 20 plus dollars for a deposit swap. uh, You can actually do it here. I think I saw a Twitter post that said, you know, if I swap on Uniswap, um, it's actually more expensive than if I just paid a bridge fee and swapped into Pangolin for the same same token. Like it's cheaper gas-wise sometimes. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about, uh, uh, so are there any thoughts in terms of kind of moving towards more, I guess, more like the trading functionality that you would get on like a Binance or, you know, if we go traditional finance, like uh, Robinhood, Interactive Brokers, Thinkorswim, whatever, any that type of functionality? Oh, totally. That's definitely on our radar. Um, you know, we want to appeal to all types of users. So there's the you know, the basic AMM model appeals to very uh, kind of be- beginners of DeFi. They just want to swap this token for this token. Yep. Um, and that's all they need. And that's great. And Uniswap clones, Forks are, are great at providing that. But what about the advanced traders that want the charts, the limit orders, margin? Yep. Um, you can't get that in a basic DEX AMM. So we, all, we do have that on our immediate roadmap. Um, three things, one advanced charting, um, you know, let's get all those tools that you get on a sex into our UI so you can make yeah. educated decisions. Let's get limit orders in. Um, we're working with a very strong partner, Velox, developed by Rome Blockchain um, to integrate that directly into our app too. Because um, right now, if you've ever used a DEX, you kind of say, I want to swap this for this and it just happens. You don't get to say like, when it hits X price, please do yeah. my swap. Yeah. Um, so we're going to add that too. And finally, I understand hard- that's super challenging to do technically. Like I was talking to the Bancor guys about doing it on theirs, and they said like it's really doing that on chain is you know, with an AMM is is a pretty tough challenge actually. Oh yeah, yeah, it is because um, you know the nature of how data is saved. You know, on a blockchain, well, do you save the limit order uh, in a contract, or do you try to save it off chain? What's more secure? What's more performant? What's scalable? There's a lot of things to think about. Whereas a centralized exchange, like a like a big database, you can do whatever you want in there. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a good, good question. Um, and then just the third uh, advanced trading feature is, is margin, right? Uh, you know, traders yeah. love to uh, take advantage of, you know, 3x, 5x margin on a trade if they really think it's going to go well. Um, yeah. And we have some strong partners that we're looking at to provide this. So, so we're already partnered with margin swap and V finance is coming soon. They're coming out of the, um, the Avalanche Asia Ventures, uh, they're a pretty well-funded project over there launching in a couple of weeks. And so both of those partners are going to provide the, the leverage trading for us. That's awesome. Any idea on like the timeline of when these features are going to be out? Yeah, so the advanced charts, we're actually rolling out uh, bit by bit. Um, so we have something coming in our analytics this week, actually, um, better charting. And then we eventually want to get that into the app. So like when you're swapping, you've got the charts right there. Uh, yep. You can make educated decisions. I think V Finance is launching in a couple of weeks. Um, we're doing a, like an incentives program with them where if you l- trade with margin in their app, you can earn a little bit of the P&G token. That's going to be really cool. Oh, very cool. Very yeah. cool. And what about when it comes to... Uh, uh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> what about uh, when we're talking about uh, kind of some of the like capital efficiency 
issues. Uh, how does that work on Pangolin? Obviously, that was a big thing with uh, Uniswap v3, bringing in, trying some attempt to be more capital efficient for uh, the liquidity pools. What about, uh, how is it over there? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a good question. Um, and by capital efficiency, so what we're talking about is the people deposit liquidity and you can trade it, but is all of the liquidity being used optimally? And is your, does your trade have the lowest slippage possible uh, through the technology that we use? Um, and so that's something that Uniswap v3 solves very well. I think SushiSwap's Trident is going to try to solve that too. And it's something that's definitely on our radar, uh, maybe a little further out because we do have some more immediate like UI UX improvements we want to do before we start looking at the core swapping contracts. Uh, you know, we definitely recognize like, hey, there are better ways to do it now. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking into that for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, I, I talked again to the Bancor guys and they were talking about when they first tried to do it and it was pretty challenging. And then Uniswap, I think the efficiency is good, but the user experience of kind of how you manage that, if you're on the liquidity pool side, is a little bit complicated. So uh, I think Dodo Finance is doing something uh, something now as well. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to find out uh, how, how you guys tackle it. Yeah, I think there's a new there's a new white paper published. I think it was by the Uniswap team about some sort of like time-weighted AMM that we were looking at. Oh, interesting. At. And I don't think anyone's put it live yet, but that's the kind of theory of like, you know, let's like try to time weight some of these, these prices and that should help or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's super, super fun to figure out. What about, uh, so lots of people on DeFi yield are yield farmers, et cetera. So, you know, they're providing liquidity. Uh, talk to me about that experience for, uh, for people who want to jump on to Avalanche and provide liquidity to Pangolin Pools. And Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, yield farming on Avalanche—it's—it's it's very hot right now. Um, you know, it comes in waves, liquidity moves around. And I feel like it's finally Avalanche's turn to have this big wave of yield farming. Um, so there's, you know, safer yield. For example, Penguin offers very safe yield. You know, safe pairs, AVAX, USDT, earning I think over 100% APR when you combine the PNG rewards, the swap fees, just pretty good returns. And you have just a bunch of the more. Uh, high risk, high reward yield farms popping up all around. I'm seeing 500% APR. And then when that's compounded, that's like a thousand percent plus APY. Um, you know, it's, it's very fun. Um, do your own research on the risks of all this, but uh, there are some good returns here. And you know, as a DEX, we do recognize that we want to attract liquidity to come farm and stay because that adds a lot of value to our DEX. So constantly adding new farms, optimizing our multipliers, and just making sure that people are getting the yields that they want. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Uh, what is it like? Like from the standpoint of you guys building it, are there is there any difference between kind of how you build out all that infrastructure, et cetera, on top of Avalanche versus right directly onto Ethereum or a basic uh, like Binance Smart Chain or something? Uh, that's a good question. So in terms of um, Avalanche versus Ethereum. I would say the main difference in mindset is just you can try you can trial and error a lot more things right on ethereum you kind of have to measure and be like i only want to pay this transaction fee once i need to be sure yeah. whereas you know avalanche as a builder and as a yield farmer sometimes i can be like i just want to see how this contract works on mainnet let's just go deploy it try it out and then yeah. i'll never use it again but that's fine it costs like three dollars to deploy or something and same with yield farming on ethereum when i was yield farming i'm like doing math and like spreadsheets and like <laughs> is this the farm i want because <laughs> yeah. i only want to go in once 
Um, whereas on, on Avalanche, you can be so experimental. You can be in this farm one day, at this farm another day, or the same day. And the gas fees are almost negligible compared to you know, the kind of yield that you're getting. Yeah. As for building, I'd say it's mostly the same other than like the auto compounders here can get very competitive and optimal because yep. the gas is so cheap. They're compounding, uh, you know, six plus times per day and it's yep. still, it's still profitable. Yeah. What, uh, what's the deal with respect to languages when you're coding on, uh, on Avalanche? Uh, obviously you've got solidity for EVM compatible, but uh, what about beyond that? Um, yeah, beyond that, I mean, Avalanche is a very good um, developer kit if you want to actually build on um, the native Avalanche stuff. But as for, you know, Pangolin, we're just using the standard you know, Web3 libraries, Ethers, JS libraries to build our DAP out to make the wallet interactions, the smart contract calls and things like that. Yeah. And what about from a user experience standpoint? One of the things that, you know, if you go from Uniswap over to Binance Smart Chain or Polygon or something, it's a pretty easy uh, process of setting up. It's a little bit more complicated for Avalanche because you've kind of got these two separate pieces. You don't just do, hey, I'm going to put my RPC into MetaMask or whatever. You kind of go do the thing on Avalanche. Then you go and do this thing on, uh, on uh, MetaMask. Is there any okay. kind of focus on improving that user experience? Yeah, so I think you're talking about, um, there used to be an interim step where you had to use the Avalanche wallet to kind yeah, of cross chain yeah. some AVAX from the X chain to the C chain. It was kind of a, a headache and yeah, it barrier. Was, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's two big improvements that actually helped that just in this recent month. So one is the new Avalanche bridge. Yeah. Um, right from Ethereum to Avalanche, it's super fast, super cheap. It actually drops a little bit of gas too, in case you don't have any gas. And that has brought a lot of liquidity over. I think the last time I checked, it was like 1.5 billion or something has crossed that bridge already just in three weeks. So that's a huge improvement over the old bridge. And the second thing is just the X, sorry, the C chain compatibility on these centralized exchanges. When Avalanche first started, it was only X chain compatible um, with drawing AVAX from like a Binance into a wallet. Then you had to cross chain it, which is very confusing. Um, but all of the new sexes are only adding the C chain support for AVAX, and the old sexes are starting to convert to the C chain support. Like just, um, I think like 12 hours ago or something, Binance announced that they're compatible with the C chain now, which has been asked for for months. It's a huge deal. And so now you can withdraw AVAX directly to the C chain, no more cross chaining. And this also means that tokens like PNG tokens like Chi can start listing on Binance, whereas before there was no compatibility. So that's a pretty big deal. That is, that's awesome. That's uh, yeah, because that was like one of my early experiences as a user back, whatever it was, a few months ago. Kind of like, hey, this is uh, definitely got more friction. DeFi is not super easy to begin with, and then when you add that other friction, you're like, ah. Oh, hmm. So yeah, that's that's great to hear. Very interesting. Um, let's talk about uh, impermanent loss because this is obviously a big thing when you're uh, you're busy doing uh, yield farming. What's uh, what's the situation on uh, on Pangolin on Avalanche, etc.? That, yeah, that's a good question. So impermanent loss is you know when you pair two tokens and one price goes up, one price goes down, or you know one price just stays stagnant, and all of a sudden you're in a situation when if you just didn't pair the tokens, you would have made more money. Even, even with like um, APRs from, from rewards. Um, and so, you know, that's always a risk that people take and some apps try to solve it. Like I you know Bancor has a very cool model where they solve that. 
And then other apps take the approach of like, hey, that's that's why we give you 100% plus APRs is because you're taking this risk for us and we want to reward you for it. And that's kind of the approach that Pangolin takes. You know, we're very upfront and transparent, like, hey, it's risky. Please do a lot of research before you start doing this. But it's generally lucrative if you pick the right pairs um, with tokens that you trust and you're getting decent APRs. Um, those are going to outweigh any impermanent loss generally. Uh, but, you know, always do the research on the tokens first on the app. Yeah, yeah, we built like a really sophisticated impermanent loss calculator back a number of months ago because it's actually really complicated to understand what your impermanent loss is really going to be. Right, right. I've played with calculators too, and it's just, you know, I, I don't think it's actually as much as I thought it'd be, you know, um, when I plug the numbers in. Or yeah, there's all sorts of that? weird, weird, I mean, there's weird variables about it, right? Like how fast does it drop or does it go really fast versus really slow and, you know, things like this. So, yeah, there's lots of different variables you have to play with. What's the percentage one way or another? And yeah, so we, uh, like I said, we built this crazy sophisticated uh, calculator you can play around with sometime if you want and, and see sure. how it works. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I can send you a link. Um, but this brings us to, uh, you said you were coming out with uh, single-sided pools here. Yeah, so that's very exciting. So um, yeah, single-sided staking is very attractive because there is no permanent loss. And for a long time, we were trying to find the best way to add single-sided staking for Pangolin. Um, as in, do we fund it from emissions, from swap fees? Do we put any parameters around locking or fees? Um, and then a very good opportunity came along with the Avalanche Rush program. Um, Avalanche Rush, if you haven't heard of it yet, is where the Avalanche, the Avalabs Foundation is offering $180 million in incentives. Yeah, that was at the time of announcement. I think it's close to 400 million now with the appreciation of the AVAX token. But you know, Penguin was fortunate to be one of the first native projects to be included in getting $2 million in AVAX to be distributed as incentives. And we're like, that's perfect. We're about to launch staking and we're going to take this 2 million AVAX and we're going to distribute it over three months to PNG stakers. PNG is our native token of the Penguin app. And that's actually starting tomorrow. So super cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. So talk to us about the, the PNG token. What, uh, how does it work? What's it for? Is it, uh, yeah, fill us in. Definitely. So, you know, PNG token was first launched as a gov governance token. A lot of apps launched their token this way. There's some, you know, just like regulatory reasons for it. And there's just some, you know, straightforward reasons of let's launch the token and then see what utility makes sense. But for a long time, it was used for uh, voting. Pangolin is uh, decentralized and community driven. So a lot of major decisions go through formal votes and you use this token held in your wallet as voting power. Yep. So that was the primary use case for a long time. And now we're starting to find more utility. So utility being um, staking your PNG tokens for yield, utility additionally being um, used as collateral in lending apps. So yep. we want it added to the finance, we want it added to Banky. And to do this, we actually need a chain link price feed which we need more sex listings for. So we're, we're looking at more sex listings so we can qualify for Chainlink. And yeah. Interesting. So uh, talk to us a little bit about how the, uh, like how does governance work on, uh, on Pangolin? Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of our major contracts are owned by, by the governance contract. So um, just stepping back a bit, uh, you know, you can start, at a project and just have the debt, the team own a lot of the parameters of the project, the funds, the contracts. If you want to change the APR of reward pool or remove one, the team's just like, okay, here's a just function call, just call it. 
Uh, Pangolin set up a little bit different. Um, it started out very decentralized where all of these were owned by a governance contract and you could only invoke changes through voting. So we have a treasury with like uh, 14 million PNG. If you want to use any of those funds for something, you have to vote on it. Um, we have a lot of different contracts. And if you want to change any parameters, for example, we just turned on a fee switch that now routes a bit of swap fees to other initiatives uh, that had to be voted on. Yep. And it's um, it's on-chain governance too. So it all happens uh, on the blockchain. So it's very cool. That's great. Yeah, one of the things that's nice, I guess you're doing all the on-chain governance on Avalanche. Uh, you know, when you try to do it on Ethereum, the problem is the gas fees for voting are so uh, <laughs> so problematic. Uh, <laughs> it discourages people from voting. So, so uh, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a lot to ask for to ask someone to spend like $30, $40 just to get their vote in, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially if their vote's small, right? Yeah. Is, how do you guys do it? And like, have you given a lot of thought in terms of like the weighting of the voting and, you know, is it just a pure one token, one vote sort of thing? How does it play out in terms of, yeah. Yeah, so it's one token, one vote right now. And, you know, we have debated, well, should we go quadratic to kind of benefit smaller wallets? It's on the, in the future talks of when we uh, rewrite this contract. Yep. And we've also implemented uh, snapshot voting for, for quicker, smaller votes. Um, so snapshot is kind of an off-chain voting where it reads your wallet balances. But when you vote, it, it doesn't happen on the blockchain. It just tracks yeah. the app. And that is a really cool app because we can actually read the balances from PNG that's deposited into farms and staking. So it doesn't just have to be in your wallet. You can be farming with it paired into another token pair. And we'll still read that balance and say, okay, that's voting power for you. So that was a really big win for our community. Nice. Nice. That's great. Yeah, one of the things that I am a little concerned about like I'm super interested in DAOs and kind of the whole ability to set up voting mechanisms, et cetera, on crypto. But I think the one token, one vote thing is pretty open to manipulation and gaming and, you know, kind of the wrong incentives over time. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the community decides to play around and iterate and what some best practices are that kind of change that. Because, yeah, you don't want to get somebody who can just come in buy you know 51% of the tokens and then drain the treasury or something and that just changes the whole dynamic so yeah it's definitely a concern I mean DAOs are so new too they've been around for like just a couple of years so everyone's still figuring out what's optimal um, but everyone's also seeing the, the power of DAOs you know what, what they can get done and how these kind of more flat organizations can run it in a different way than a a hierarchical organization yeah yeah how, how do you guys run like do you run in kind of that sort of DAO way like do you bring in participation? How do people get hired and brought into the Pangolin ecosystem as developers and contributors? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, initially Pangolin didn't have a team. It was kind of just run by Ava Labs uh, engineers for a few months until uh, a team was hired and we actually had to kind of propose our, our budget and our, and our core members and get that voted on. Uh, and now we have a little more autonomy where if we want to add um, additional engineers, for example, um, that's a small enough uh, ask that we have the autonomy to do it. Whereas, you know, bigger, bigger initiatives, um, you know, for example, we need to fund a market maker with, you know, something like a million uh, dollars in liquidity that that has to be voted on. So it's kind of finding this balance between, okay, what do we trust uh, the core team to do versus what needs sign off from the greater community is a balance that we are consistently looking for. Yeah. How many people are on the Pangolin team now? 
Um, yeah, so full-time, I'd say there's around, you know, six full-time employees, but, you know, people actually contributing daily, there's, there's so many, um, probably around like 15, if you include all the moderators and, and people who help with marketing and PR and all just the part-time developers. What's really cool about Penguin is if you want to contribute, you don't have to commit to like 40 hours a week. We have so many things to build. You can be like, hey, I really want to build X feature. And then we will bring you on for a week, have you build it, and you'll get paid for it. That's really cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's like really, again, something that I like in crypto is how you can have this sort of different fluid approach to building teams and working together and all that kind of thing. For sure, for sure. It's very beautiful. Do you do you have any idea? I have this curiosity. Where does the name come from? Oh, man, that's that's an interesting one. Um, I think I've asked before and didn't really get a good answer, but I, I want to say that, you know, everything on Avalanche is kind of like mountain themed. So you'll see a lot of like snow and like mountainous animals. And I guess uh, the living conditions of a pangolin as an animal is similar enough that it fits in with the Avalanche theme. And that's, that's my leading theory. It also had a pretty cool tagline, which was like scale your DeFi trading, like a nice little pun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, the, and the logo is just uh, adorable. Like it's, it's a great logo. So. Sure, <laughs> um, sure, absolutely. No deep meaning. I think just was a nice sounding name with a cute animal. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, curious about your thoughts on the bridge and these bridges. One of the concerns, of course, with Polygon, with their bridge was, I think it's controlled by like a eight-party multi-sig or something. And, you know, somebody could get into a plane accident and all of a sudden they all die or, you know, who knows what else. Uh, what about, uh, how does the Avalanche bridge compare? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So I think Avalanche is using a new bridge technology. And I know it doesn't use like just multi-sigs that sign off. Um, but I'm not sure uh, what the technicals are. I do think it has more robust protection than like if one person just went offline forever, like <laughs> it was screwed. Uh, I think they thought that part through, but I do still think it's, um, you know, controlled by some very trusted like central authorities. Uh, and it's very hard balance to find between like, do we just let anybody, do we completely decentralize the bridge and let anybody kind of validate this? Or do we kind of, keep it scoped to like a trusted group of people. Um, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. What, which model do you think is better? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? I, uh, I think that um, my view is always that if you have the incentives to screw some people, then eventually the wrong group of people is gonna get in control and they're gonna do that. So you want to, for sustainability purposes, get to something that is not reliant on trusting some small authority, but that that's sort of, it's naive to believe that you can start there. There's often a lot of reason to start with something much more concentrated and that, you know, you kind of then have to try and build uh, some mechanism by which you can transition from one to the other. That's kind of how I would look at it, but, you know, who knows? Like, we'll, one of the things that I love about open finance, et cetera, is we get to iterate a lot of things. And it seems like it's a, a world filled of, you know, predators in the form of like ethical hackers and people who want to profit off it, et cetera. And so things get stress tested pretty quickly and you get to find out what works, what doesn't work. And uh, hopefully we learn from that. And, you know, then you can fork the next project that has that learning and go and move on from there. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. One of the reasons that DeFi innovates so quickly is the, you know, the feedback loops of, you know, people push code to production daily, multiple times per day, whereas in traditional software and finance, it's like weekly or monthly, right? Traditional finance, it's like once every 20 years or so. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I go into my Bank of America, like log in, and it looks like it was designed in the 90s, and it probably was. And so. <laughs> hey, it's not broke, don't, no, don't fix it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, no, that's one of the things for sure. Um, how would it work from the standpoint of Pangolin and having this exchange? Uh, so you've got all these tokens on the C chain, right? They're all these EVM compatible tokens, et cetera. Now somebody goes and they design something uh, and they launch it on another chain. Uh, can you swap between tokens on the C chain and on one of the other chains? Is that possible? Is that easy? How does that work? Yeah, yeah. There's actually a token standard called ANT, A-N-T, Avalanche Native Token. And mm -hmm. that's when you launch a token on the X chain Mm -hmm. And it's compatible between the C and the X chain, so it can travel back and forth. Um, it doesn't work the other way. You can't just start with an ERC-20 on the C chain and then all of a sudden have it uh, backwards compatible. So you would need to start with a new token um, with the with ANT's token standard. But yeah, okay. it's definitely possible. And I, I think some projects were looking into it, but for timeline reasons, kind of just want the, the quicker implementation. Yeah. 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 It's uh, so what you're saying is if somebody created an ant token and then you could put it on, it could go over to the ERC 20, uh, well, over to the C chain, uh, so that you could then swap that ant token for an ERC 20 token. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it would just be like another uh, ERC, I think they call it ARC 20 on the okay. C chain. Yeah, okay, ARC, great. Um, and then in theory, what that would mean is that I could take an ARC20 token, I could swap it for an ANT token that was already on the C chain, and then I could take it back to the X chain. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. If the token started as the ANT token, then yep. go back to the X chain, and then you can do some cool stuff over there too. Nice. Nice. Interesting. Cool. Well, that's uh, that's fantastic. Are there other things that I haven't asked about that you know people should probably know about Pangolin and what you guys are up to? Um, I just wanted to say, you know, what's upcoming in Avalanche? Uh, at, with Avalanche Rush, there's so many projects coming that we're excited to integrate with like Curve, uh, Ave, Sushi Slop. So many people building here. It's a really exciting time, and I'd encourage anyone to just kind of bridge over and try out a couple swaps, a couple of apps. And I'm also curious to hear, you know, what, what apps you're looking at. What have you explored so far in Avalanche that you're liking? That's awesome. What's the best way for people to interact with you and uh, kind of get involved in the Pangolin community? Oh, yeah. So we're very active on Telegram. That's where most of our mods and users ask questions, provide commentary, feedback. Uh, the team chats a lot on Discord. Um, or, you know, our DMs are open on Twitter if you prefer that medium, too. Um, so nice. just swing by and, and say hello. And are there things that are really useful for you guys? Like, are you looking for developers? Are you looking for liquidity and apps? And like, what, what are you guys looking for that would be uh, that would be helpful if people are interested in contributing? Yeah, so if you're a dev, you know, we're always open for a chat. We have so many things to build. Um, if you're a yield farmer, just swing by and say hi, learn about the app, try our farms. Uh, if you're a project and you want to partner or integrate, um, you know, we love to add new partners and help people get started in the ecosystem. So anybody uh, is welcome. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm excited to see where uh, where the technology goes because it's uh, it's really interesting stuff. So great job on uh, on what you guys are doing. I'm going to look forward to seeing these updates with uh, the margin and the limit orders and the charting. That'll be fantastic. And yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on and talking to us today. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right, guys. If you uh, want to check it out, we'll put all the links in the show notes below. Uh, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, and we're going to look forward to seeing you the next time we're doing a video.